You're listening to The Collected Podcast, bringing you inspiration and resources to help you discover and live from your truest self. Follow along on social media at Collected Workshops and be sure to visit thecollectedpodcast.com for show notes and to learn more. The Collected Podcast is sponsored by Clean Juice, a certified organic nutrition and wellness bar with more than 100 locations in development in 16 states. Learn more at cleanjuice.com. Welcome to episode 34 of The Collected Podcast. I'm Michaela Hooper. I'm Jess Biondo. And I'm Tia McNelly. This week, we had the pleasure and honor of interviewing Julie Martin. And Julie is a psychotherapist. She is a volunteer for Celebrate Recovery. And she um, just has a powerful heart for ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, she has definitely ministered to me personally in my life. And um, I really treasure her voice in my life and her voice in our community. Um, we're going to hear from her about um, some stuff towards the end of the interview that's a little PG-13 in case you're listening to this in the car with your kids, um, just to kind of give a little bit of warning. But we're also extending um, the maybe um, the more sensitive conversation over on Patreon so that you guys can um, really get to the heart of some of the issues that that Julie's passionate about. So make sure when you finish this interview to head over to Patreon. If you're not a member, you can become a member for as little as $1 a month, you Just guys. $1 a $1 month? $1 a month, Jess. <laughs> now, you can also become a member for any amount of money you choose. You can become a member on Patreon for $150 a month, and we would treasure that forever. We really can't do this without your support, guys. So thank you for that. But without further ado, here's our interview with Julie Martin. Julie, welcome to the Collective Podcast. Thank you. We are so excited to have you. We have been wanting to have you on for a long time. I a am long time. stoked here. <laughs> <laughs> so... Why don't we start out by letting people in on kind of your passion, the way that you show the love of Christ on this earth? Um, well, I've I've had my Jonah moments trying to get away from it, but I always come back to it, and that is um, just helping people recover from life's hurts, habits, and hang-ups. That's awesome. So you work as a counselor. Mm-hmm. You volunteer for Celebrate Recovery. Mm-hmm. Am I missing anything for the ways that you kind of engage in that on a daily basis? Not really, no. I mean, you're on the ministry team at church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's where you are today. Mm-hmm. Powerful leader, minister of the gospel. But how did you get here? Can you tell us a little bit about your upbringing and your faith journey? Sure. Um, well, I am the youngest of four kids. Um, I'm the youngest, too. Me, too. Being the youngest is best. I didn't like it back then. Because, you know, they would go places and leave me at home. Yeah. They even went on vacations and left me at home. But Rude. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but um, home alone. Um, no, they didn't leave me alone. I just, yeah. You know, I was a baby and they were teenagers. Sure. Right. So. There were things um, they could do that you couldn't yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I think. You know, my my parents would have no problem saying they were shocked to find out that, you know, my mom thought she had the flu when she oh was boy. pregnant with me. It's like, <sighs> what? You know, my my sisters are, uh, let me get this right. They'll get mad at me if I don't. Um, <laughs> 14 and 11 years older than I am, and my brother's eight years older. Wow. So. Um, you were a bonus. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, by when I was growing up, um, you know, obviously my siblings were teenagers and they were, you know, my parents had their hands full with them and I was just kind of there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also the older I get, the more I can understand how my mom was just probably over it. Like you, you've got, Aww. you've got kids in high school and then you've got one, you know, that's, that's starting with the you know, little watercolor paintings and, you know, all the crap. Like, I could not – mine were just two years apart, and I could not wait to be done with all that stuff. Right, I'm yeah. Sorry, and just no. – you know, so to have to go back to that, I'm sure she was just, like, so over it. But, sure. Um, so I I spent a lot of time just trying to be really, really good mm. and not make waves mm-hmm. in the family because I could just sense, you know what, they've got enough going on. And my mom even said that – um uh, I found her in her room, like on her knees praying one day, you know, I, I didn't go to preschool. I was just home with her and I, I was looking for her all over the house and I found her in her room praying and um, I was like, uh, mom, what's wrong? And she kind of told me and she asked if I wanted to pray with her. And so we did. And and um, I knew that I said something to her after that. I mean, I vividly remember this. I was like three or four. But I didn't know what I said to her until I was going through graduate school and had to do like a timeline of important events. And I don't know how it came up. And she was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Do you remember what you said? And I was like, no. And she said, don't worry about me, mom. I was born to be a worker and I was born to be good. Oh, my god! Wow. When you were how old? In preschool? Wow. Yeah, and I tried to live up to that shiz, too, and it was like. (laughs) That is some messed up thinking for a preschooler. I'm like, I will save this family. I will be excellent, and no one will ever have to worry about me. And It's a lot of pressure. Yeah, yeah. It was was a tremendous amount of pressure. So by the time I was in, um, actually, it happened my first day of high school, I'm like having – this mental breakdown. I don't know mm-hmm. what's going on. Like I, I walk in the, in the school and all of a sudden I felt like this rush of fear. Like the way, the only way I can describe it is if, you know, you were in an alley somewhere and somebody pulled out a gun and said, you know, give your, give me everything you have or I'm going to shoot you. And you know, the rush of adrenaline that you have yeah. in that moment. And, um, only nobody was holding a gun to my head and there was nothing wrong. Like, yeah. And I dealt with that all day long. I didn't know what was going on. I just wanted to get out of there. And that just started. And, and then there was this intense fear, like, I don't know what that was, but I hope it never happens again. And of course it did. You came anxious about the anxiety. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And tough. so like now we know that's called panic disorder. But back then I just felt like I'm a nutcase. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on here. And so um, there were so many days I felt like I just can't because it was it was all day long at wow. school, and so there were so many days I felt like I just couldn't take it anymore. That I I was just like you know I'm gonna, I'm going to check out of here. I just you know, and um, so I remember sitting in school one day at, at lunch and just saying you know if oh and my mom did try to try to get help for me like she took me to a doctor. Um, a psychologist in Charlotte, 
and uh <laughs> and um I'd go talk to him every week and he would fall asleep. <gasps> yeah. Oh yeah. He never gave That's me so you know, hurtful. And so I'm just like, yep. I am not worth talking to. Nobody or, even yeah, cares. Yeah. Oh, man. And so I remember thinking, if I ever get this figured out for myself, I'm going to grow up and help other people through it. Mm-hmm. And so that's… That's wow. amazing. Yeah. I've, and you did. Yeah. That's great. Wow. I mean… How did you finally find healing from that kind of adolescent anxiety? Um, well, like a, a couple things. One is called… Legal drugs, right? <laughs> and, the, and the other, and the other is um, kind of unpacking all of that um, pressure I'd put on myself, and mm-hmm. and all of the lies that I told myself. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I think that drives a great deal of anxiety and depression. Yeah, um, but I'm not like a. I'm not like one who says drugs are irrelevant and uncalled for. Right. I think sometimes in the church, if if you're going to a church that tells you that, it's time to find a new church. Mm-hmm. Like because there are some of us that, um, you know, our our brain chemistry is off, mm-hmm. and so I wasn't. It wasn't until my mid 30s that I was put on an antidepressant for the first time. And, wow. And. I, <laughs> I remember telling my husband, I'm like, um, and it took a couple months for it to kick in, but I remembered waking up one day and um, driving down the road and not thinking about going into the other lane of traffic. Wow. Like, Mm -hmm. I was like, people actually live like this? Oh, man. Because my days, every day, and and I wasn't going to do it, but the The thought thought was always there, like, you should just, you know. I shared in my um, my interview when I was interviewed on the show mm-hmm. that I had the same thing, and I was also I was in my twenties after I had my second daughter, but um, postpartum depression set in pretty hard, mm. and I I even understood postpartum depression, and I didn't recognize that those are not normal thoughts; those are called mm-hmm. thoughts of morbidity, yeah. and it's it's not actually normal for us to be thinking about mm-hmm. death and dying. Mm-hmm just going through our normal day. Yeah. yeah. And so I just want to encourage anyone who's listening who may be experiencing that, oh, yeah. that it's it's okay for you to admit that to someone and to yeah. ask someone to talk that through with mm-hmm. you and to seek help for yeah, that. It's mm-hmm. not a lack of faith. Not at all. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, sometimes our brain chemistry is a little wacky. Yeah. 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 You said something about sitting in a high school classroom, and then you went back and and kind of filled in a gap. Could you go back to that moment? Because we were asking how you got past your anxiety. Do I have to go back to those moments now? <laughs> 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 you don't have to. <laughs> no, um, I I just suffered mm-hmm. through high school, and it wasn't until um, my mom. It was the summer between high school and college, and my mom was at the grocery store. And you know how they have those little carousels with paperbacks? Oh yeah. Or they used to. Um, there was one on the rack that said um, the anxiety cure, and it had one of those little tests on the back. And everything that it said, she's like, well, this sounds like her. And so she brought it home. She's like, can you relate to this? And I just read that book and cried. Mm, I was wow. like, wow. So that's how it was diagnosed. And I mean, unfortunately, this was like 30 years ago. And so 
You I know, can't I was, imagine how healing that was for a teenager because, oh gosh, you know, teenagers just want to be normal. They want to fit in. Yeah. They don't want to feel different. And for you to finally have some kind of validation that says you are not the only one, right, mm-hmm. has and to be so freeing. It's not like I talked about it, right? Like somehow I was a cheerleader. I, I would like no nobody knew, right, yeah. what was going on in my head, and um, because I just I thought it was crazy. I didn't want to talk about it, and so. Um, yeah, to have that validation was huge. How did, how did you come to, how did you come to know the Lord? Like what was the, and, and how has that played? Like, how did that play a part for you when you were younger? Did it play a part for you when you were younger or was, were you more aware of who God was as you got older? Like, well, I've always known who God was. I was raised in a Christian family and I remember being at Vacation Bible School when I was seven years old and um, in the big auditorium, and they just explained salvation and said, if you wanted to accept Jesus in your heart, then stay after while all the other kids went back to class. And I remember looking around and like everybody was leaving, and I was a very shy kid, and I did not want to stay there, but I knew I had to. And so I did, and I prayed with the minister or whoever was there. And so um, I think that's always been part of my life. But I mean, like a lot of us in high school, I wanted to be popular. I wanted to have fun, although it wasn't fun. But, you know, you think God's going to be a real killjoy. So um, I wasn't living it until I was getting ready to graduate from high school, which is a fun story because that's kind of the, the pattern that both of my sons took as well. It was actually the same month in high school. Really? Same year, senior year. Mm-hmm. That, wow. Um, when they kind of came to own their faith? Yeah. Yeah. I um, I just remember thinking one day, like I was dating a guy, it was a really toxic relationship, and I kept thinking, I'm getting ready to have a brand new start with people who don't know me, you know, in college. And I'm like, you know, God, if you're really real and I need to break up with this guy and you have like some kind of grand plan for me, then you basically have to write it in the sky. So I'll be looking. I was working the drive through <laughs> at McDonald's that day. And you guys, you won't believe what happened. So I'm taking my first order and this guy pulls around and he gives me his money and then he goes up to the second window. But I see like brake lights come on and he backs up real slowly and I'm like, what is this joker about, you know? And and he stops and he's like, somebody told me you needed this today. And he hands me this little tract that said, yes. God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for your life. And I was like, what? It's not in the sky, but it's clear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so that was it. I was like, all right, I'm going to do things your way. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. And so then what happened after you graduated high school? Did you already know that you wanted to study to be a counselor eventually? Um, I went into social work. Social work. Okay. Yeah. And so um, kind of played musical school till I graduated. I started out at USC in Columbia and then went to Winthrop for a year. And then um, trying to get away from another relationship, I um, moved down to Texas um, Texas Christian University, and that's where TCU. I was on the five. Yeah, I was on the five-year plan. I met Curtis three weeks into that that's right. um, that transfer. So I thought I was going to be a missionary to Romania. 
you know. And, wow. and musical schools ended. <laughs> <laughs> your your husband is Curtis. Just mm-hmm. yeah. people don't have that point of reference. Point yeah. of reference. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So then I um, graduated with a degree in social work and um, kind of had a rough time getting through that program. It was very liberal and they threatened to kick me out and <laughs> it was real fun. Oh, but um, so I knew I didn't want to get a master's in social work. I wanted to go more the counseling route. And um, so he was in the Air Force, and we kind of bounced around a little bit. And uh, he got an assignment out here in Charlotte. And at the church we were going to at the time, I met a counselor who had just graduated from Mm Gordon-Conwell. And she told me about the program and how you can get it done on the weekends. And I was like, what? Because I had two little boys at the time. And so— yeah, they were three and one when I went back to school, and it um, took me five years, but I did it. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. So you mentioned your boys, and I didn't clear this with you ahead of time. Um, are you are you comfortable talking about your, your son's special needs? Yeah. Yeah, so um, maybe you can just kind of share, like, how you discovered that and what it's been like for you walking through that journey, because I know we definitely have listeners with kids with special needs. Yeah. Um, so uh, my – my in-laws always roasted me about this, but um, when Stephen, my oldest, was like five days old, they came up to visit, and I have a book laid out on the bed on how to give a baby a bath. <laughs> I'm following along. Like, wow. I'm like, I'm going to do this thing by the book, you know, because I didn't Wait, know what I was five doing. five months old? No, no, five days. Five days old. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. I might have said months. Oh, gosh. No, I did bathe him before five that's months. That's good. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Julie. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's funny. Whoopsies. No. And so, you know, I just felt like, okay, I'm going to do this right. And um, when, I mean, as he was growing, I didn't know because he was my oldest, but there were signs pretty early on that something was a little different. and um, But I would take him into the pediatrician on base and tell him, hey, he's he's rocking back and forth for like hours a day. And mm. like he'll, he'll, he doesn't really, and as he got older, he didn't play with toys. He lined them up across the room. And, you know, I just thought he was genius. Like, you know, my kid doesn't. Well, that oh, was true too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he, um, he really didn't like toys. He would get under the counter and he would watch the. Um, he would pull out the drawers very slowly, and just watch the mechanics of how that wow. worked. And I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, we created a genius. So this is going to be <laughs> awesome, you know. Um, but. Yeah, the the pediatrician on the Air Force base where we were just said, "Oh, yeah, don't worry about it. He's that's why they call it a bouncing baby boy." And I'm like, you know, with his banging himself mm-hmm. against the couch, I'm like, "Okay." So, I mean, it wasn't for another at least year and a half when he was three and a half. We were at a birthday party um, with kids that were younger than he was that were in our play group and. I remember he ran up and he was trying to join the conversation with them, and uh, the the little boy just looked at him like, "What? What are you saying?" And he, and he was six months younger, and he came up to me and he said, "What did he just say?" And it just hit me like a ton of bricks that this kid just said, "What did he just say?" Like a five, he said five words in a sentence, and it mm. made sense. And I'm like, "Hmm, okay, so." 
I ended up getting him evaluated, and he would he was at first diagnosed with um, severe receptive expressive language disorder mm-hmm. and sensory integration disorder. Um, but you know, when I googled that, everything that came up was autism. So I'm like, this cannot be happening. Mm. <laughs> I, I mean, you might as well have just like dropped an atomic bomb on my life. What a like, shock. I was just, you know, and I'm I'm a child of the 80s, so I'm thinking Rain Man, like this, he's never gonna live on his own. He's never gonna, you know, mm. he's never gonna be able to do anything. And what kind of life is he gonna have? And but we got him into um early therapy and um you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't easy for him growing up, despite all of the, uh, you know, the anti-bullying things they try to do at school. I mean, teachers can't see everything, and so yeah. I mean, he really struggled. Um, and but this is a kid who couldn't answer yes or no to a question when he was almost four years old, and when he was 18 he was accepted into Berkeley College of Music one of the best music school in the world and mm-hmm. and he spent his freshman year in Tel Aviv Israel wow in Hebrew music classes so wow. 14 years earlier he couldn't understand what I was saying in English and then I'm sorry no it's mm-hmm. it's amazing yeah and then he's um He's on the other side of the world, like Thriving. taking classes in Hebrew. Yeah. yeah, I mean the kid amazes me. Yeah, even now he's teaching himself Japanese. So, and he's such a talented musician. He is mm-hmm. stunning musician. Thank you. Wow, that's so encouraging. I think um, I have a, I have a lot of friends with like elementary and middle school kids who are autistic and. Um, it's just so encouraging to hear the stories of adults oh, yeah. who are thriving mm-hmm. and doing doing things that we may have never imagined when they were small, oh. when they were still four. You know, you wouldn't have ever imagined that no. he could go on travel alone, right, to the other side of the world. Yeah, it's amazing. I wish, um, I and I tell him this all the time. I wish that there had been someone like him that I could have talked to. Yeah, when he was diagnosed, because. Um, there is so much hope. These, you know. Yeah. I think even the ones that are nonverbal are are geniuses inside. We just can't communicate with them. They can't communicate mm-hmm. with us. We are so honored to be sponsored by Clean Juice, who is actually the fifth fastest growing franchise in the United States. They have 50 active locations with more than 100 in development right now. Come on. They're in 16 states. You guys, they just started doing this in 2016. It's amazing. It's amazing. Jess, what's your favorite? Okay, so my favorite acai bowl, because they do juices, they do smoothies, but their acai bowls are amazing too. They are. Mm -hmm. And when I just need a little taste of summer, Mm -hmm. I go to the beach bowl. Oh, yeah. It is so good. It has the organic pineapple, toasted coconut, granola, banana, almond something. Yeah. It's just so good. <laughs> Everything's organic. Love it. And it just makes me feel like I'm in Hawaii. Mm, I love that. Even in the middle of winter. That's awesome. And mm. it's healthy. So you can actually download the Clean Juice app mm-hmm. and see everything that's on the menu. And that will give you a way to pay and earn rewards. Yeah. So go ahead and download the Clean Juice app. So if you have yet to check out Clean Juice, find one nearby. 
and just go and get a delicious beverage or food, treat, whatever it is. And you can find them on Instagram at, at @cleanjuice. I think it's really interesting that, you know, in your childhood, you you experienced something that was really difficult with anxiety and um, and just and not maybe even not having some of the resources that you had to walk with Stephen in some of his process and you know to to be able to even say like this is a part of my passion like I want to walk with people and I want to come alongside mm-hmm. people and and for you maybe when you were younger it was something that was actually absent but at times but you know because I think the Lord's obviously given you an awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, like, how did you come to that point of, or maybe it was just because you were like, I didn't have this when I was younger, or because I see there's such a great need. Like, what was the turning point for you where you were like, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to invest. Like, counseling is it. I'm going to start pursuing that. Oh, well, when the boys were little— um we had moved here, and I was sitting on the couch just feeling like, I think a lot of times, I even had another mom tell me this. I'm like, I just feel like there's something else I want to do. Mm-hmm. And she's like, um, you have your calling. You have, you know, you have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And I get that. Um, I'm blessed to be able to, you know, have kids. But um, there was something else that I wasn't, like, I really love school. Kind of a nerd that way, and I love to learn. And I, but I only love to learn one thing, and that's human behavior. Like, Mm, don't give me math or anything else. And so, um, that was just like a lifeline for me when you know, in between his therapy and all this stuff, this was something that I could. That's so good. You were nurturing your mind, yeah. In that, that's so important. I think a lot of moms do fall into the trap of thinking like, my calling is my kids, and that's the only thing I'm able to do right now. And I just want to speak out against that lie. For mm. some moms, that's true. Mm-hmm. It, that is what your assignment is for a time. Mm-hmm. But there is nothing wrong with a mother feeling like God is calling her to do something outside of parenting her kids. Yeah. So I just wanted to speak that truth um, yeah. and speak against any speak guilt it, or girl. shame that is on any mom who feels like there must be more. Mm-hmm. Because there is. Mm-hmm. So... Now that you are actively pursuing this um, this ministry of helping people overcome their hurts and hangups, talk to us a little bit about what you're passionate about within your work, within your counseling practice, and also through Celebrate Recovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think at first, um, you know, it was a lot of anxiety and depression, you know, mood disorder kind of stuff for many, many years. But then I, I tend to get bored and want a new challenge. And um, something that I kept running into was um, addiction, addiction in all forms. There's either um, a chemical addiction where you ingest something to get a high, but there's something called process addictions or behavioral addictions where you, you're you doing a ritual or a behavior to get the high. And they're both the same in the brain. And so... Um, That's an important thing that I think we should say again. They're both the same in the oh, yeah. brain. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people don't recognize that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're brain diseases. Right. Um, yes, it. they start by bad choices, right? Like you don't just wake up one day and you're 
an alcoholic or a porn addict. Like it starts with choices, but for someone with the predisposition to be wired for addiction, that can quickly, I mean, Mm -hmm. opiates, you can be addicted before the end of your prescription. Mm. I've, I've counseled moms who were sent home from having babies with, uh, a bottle of, you know, oxycodone. Oh, boy. And they were hooked before the prescription was even gone. Wow. So. That's frightening. Yeah. And then when you can't get the oxy anymore, you know, because doctors are cracking down on that or whatever, but that's why people are turning to heroin and we have this huge opiate epidemic. So. Wow. um, They're not, I mean, addicts aren't the people that you think they are. They're the soccer moms. They're Mm -hmm. the you know, the pastors, there's, you know, whatever. I think we're all susceptible to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Under the right circumstances, we can all be addicts. And I think we've talked about this on the show before, that even with our phones, just the habitual, the dopamine dump from the likes and the shares. And, you know, I mean, it's it's a reality. Mm -hmm. So I I know that you're also passionate about um, like sexual addictions and love addiction. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't know if maybe you wanted to kind of give a picture of the roots of that or like how that's treated um, or kind of the prevalence in society, like anything that you feel passionate about sharing? Well, it is definitely um, the crack of behavioral addictions. Like, right. Um, it, I would say that sex, love, and porn addiction blows all of the other ones out of the water. Yeah. Because it's the one that's secret. This one that's really secret. Right. Until people have wrecked their lives and you know, maybe the consequences are coming to light or whatever. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's so accessible. It's so, I mean, easy and... Easy to hide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. And I would say it's normalized. I, I agree with that, sister. And not just for men. Oh, it's normal to look at pornography. I'm talking about, like... 40% of porn addicts are women, mm-hmm. or 40% of the porn that's viewed online is by women. Wow. And, um, yep. you know, there's just so much danger in it because it starts, I mean, none of it is harmless. I'm not saying that, but it starts pretty. Like seemingly harmless. Right. Yeah. Pretty vanilla, I would say. And then yeah. um, pretty soon people need uh, to push the envelope more and more, and they need to see abusive stuff, you know, sadomasochistic stuff. They need to, I mean, it, yeah, it just goes to some very, very dark places. And then, especially within the church, who are you going to tell right. about that? Right. There's so yep. much shame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What are some, like some practical steps for somebody who is finding themselves in secret alone in some form of sex addiction? Right. Well, there's um, there's actually 12-step groups yeah. uh, that center around sex and love addiction, so they can look those up online. Um, there's Celebrate Recovery in many churches across the country. Tell us a little bit about Celebrate Recovery. Well, I love Celebrate Recovery because um, it, for for people who aren't um, familiar with 12 steps, the the first step is acknowledging that you've lost control and that a higher power greater than yourselves could restore you to sanity. Hmm. Um, in CR, we name who that higher power is. Yeah. And right. so, and there's a lot of power. I was in, saying, that's in a name lot it. more yeah. powerful. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, 
And I think the misconception with Celebrate Recovery is that it's for, um, oh, that's for alcoholics or, you know, drug addicts or whatever. No, it's actually for anybody struggling with a hurt habit or hang up. And honestly, I don't know anybody. Right. That's right. not struggling with one of those. I know. I want to come. Yeah. Because you hosted at our church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I got plenty of the hurts, yeah. habits, and hangups. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we so, all do. I mean, I just feel like um, it's it's the most real place in in the church because, mm-hmm. like, no one is pretending that they have it all together. Nobody. I don't think at our church actually anybody. <laughs> pretends that much anyway like we have a pretty unique yeah. culture yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah um but i'm reminded constantly that um people don't feel free to to struggle they don't feel free to talk about real things mm-hmm. right at their churches and yeah. so yeah this is a place where like for the first hour we either have a teaching or a testimony um and for the second hour we split up into um gender-specific groups, so the men will go off and the women will get mm-hmm. together. And um, if if the program's big enough, there's different groups like, okay, we've got the men's substance abuse group here. Mm-hmm. We've got the women's sexual abuse or addiction group over here, but we're not that big yet, so right. we're just all together, but yeah, it's really good. Now, I know that you also have one, one other thing that you're very passionate about, um, in the spiritual realm. And I didn't know if you wanted to oh, kind of talk kind of an entry level. Africa. Oh, <laughs> 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 Julie's coming to Kenya with Flourish Kenya. Yes. But yeah, um, I wanted to just give you an opportunity to kind of like entry level speak about your deliverance um, yes. ministry. Yes. So I had been a counselor for many years um, before I started seeing some things in a couple of my clients that um, it it wasn't mental illness. It wasn't stinking thinking, what, what I call, you know, faulty beliefs. Yeah. But um, I actually saw like a different personality looking out at me from the eyeballs of the person that I just wow. was talking to. And mm-hmm. um, have you which, always been able to discern things like that in the spiritual realm? I could discern if I went into a place where if it was present. Yeah. Yeah. But never, well, I didn't think I could. Up to this point. Yeah. Up to this point. Yeah. You, you were like, okay, I'm seeing something in these people that I have not seen before. Yeah. yeah. So, wow. okay. Um, and the first time I saw it, the way I knew was that, first of all, his eyes turned black, and he was staring at me with such hatred mm. that I felt uh, like I, I felt the presence in the room. Like mm-hmm. impressive kind of. Yeah. yeah. And so um, that definitely set me on a journey to, like, help, like, somebody help me here. Um and that led me to deliverance ministry and understanding that I think as Christians, we read the verses of, yeah, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and yeah. blah, blah, blah. And, oh, well, that's a nice idea. Yeah, there's there's bad things out there. Um, yeah, <laughs> there really is. Mm-hmm. And, they, mm-hmm. and if you have open doors, they can come right in. 
mm-hmm. to torment people. And um, and so I I learned the authority that Jesus has given us mm-hmm. in his name yeah. to command these things to go. Yeah. And I got to tell you, that's one of my favorite things to do. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's Jesus's work. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 Like if I if I ever doubt, because I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes you read the Bible and you're like, "What? Yeah, oh yeah, crazy yeah. town. Yeah. If yeah. I weren't raised this way, <laughs> this is some crazy stuff. Yeah, yep. in here. Yeah. But the stuff that I've seen with my own eyes would never make me doubt. Right. The reality of the yeah spiritual yeah. realm. Yeah, and I mean, so. we're called to bring heaven to earth. Mm-hmm. And the fact of the matter is we have to do that because what is on earth is not of heaven. Mm-hmm. And so it does take coming to terms with the fact that there is a spiritual realm and things happening in the supernatural. Mm-hmm. And um, I love that you're passionate about that. Oh, gosh. It's the, great. That verse in Isaiah that Jesus stood up in the temple and read about himself, that he came to heal the brokenhearted and to set the captives free and that's my favorite verse, mm-hmm. like because I feel like that's my yeah. mission. That's so, awesome. Set the captives free. It's so good to hear parts of your journey because I've known you for a while, but to hear the just different sections of your your life thus far, and to see what God has done in you and what He's doing through you is really powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank you. Because you're bringing a a practical. Um, you're meeting some some needs in a practical way. You're meeting needs in a practical way for people, but then you're also bringing a spiritual, the spiritual um, aspect of things, which we know mm-hmm. is so important. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so um, it's I, necessary. Yeah, it yeah. is. It is. So. Yeah. Thank you for the work that you do, Julie. Thank yep. you. And we are so so grateful that we had an opportunity to sit with you and to hear about your life and your work. Thank you. And um, you inspire us. And mm-hmm. guys, we're going to put links to all of the um, the different organizations and resources that we spoke about in the show notes, so that you guys can have access to that. And um, if you have further questions about anything we talked about, please feel free to email us at mm-hmm. hello at collectiveworkshops.com. And um, yeah, so Julie, thank you for being here. Thank you. Amazing. Julie is, is filled with so much compassion she and is, yeah. love for people. And like, hilarity. Oh my gosh. She's so funny. It's amazing to me because some of the things that she talks about and is dealing with on a day-to-day basis, it can be very heavy. Yeah. And I feel like that's actually one thing that I've loved about getting to know her is that she has this sense of humor that brings actually a um like an ease to some of the things that could could seem really heavy yeah. and bog you down. But Julie brings this quirky sense of humor that is just so refreshing. It is. Um, But I was so touched by her sharing about her process as a kid. Yeah. And how it took a long time for her to actually know, like, why she was feeling the anxiety Mm -hmm. that she was processing. And and then here she is, like, seeing things in her own kids and being able to, like, be so— um, compassionate and and really walk with her kids yeah. in in their own process. And for her, it took so long, it took a long time. Yeah. Um. And I was just I don't know I was just really touched by that. Yeah. So we all have a story. We mm-hmm. all have a journey that we've been on. Um. But it's so interesting when we hear about that early early childhood experience 
like Julie had, yeah. um, and how impactful some of the the lies that we tell ourselves or that are whispered in our ear, yeah. um, how powerful those lies can be in our lives through through adulthood if we don't come to understand the truth of who we are. And that's something, Jess, you do an incredible job at Collective Workshops when um, when you work through um, some of the exercises that take people um, through the process of identifying the lies they believe. Yeah, I love that. And the exercise, in case anyone wants to try it on their own, is um, just get to a quiet place, kind of clear your mind of any distractions. And then on a blank sheet of paper, write down Anything that you have ever thought about yourself that has ever been spoken over you, the good, the bad, all of it, and just write it down on this sheet of paper and get it out. And as you're doing that, kind of release it, even the good things, because I feel like even the good things we can um, make into idols in our lives and then cling to those as our identity, or we cling to the negative or whatever these things are that have kind of informed the masks that we wear that hide our true self yeah. and just get all of that out for however long that takes and then sit with that and ask the Lord to give you the way that He sees you. Mm-hmm. Like, Lord, what is my true self? How do you see me mm-hmm. regardless of all of this? Um, and then I have the women in the workshop write that word over all the other words, and that is their way of in Christ I am blank. I am complete. I am enough. I am healed. I am beautiful. You know, whatever the word is. Um, And that has been so helpful for me. My word, when the first time I did it was complete, because I'm always trying to like compensate and help people. And I believe the lie that if I'm not needed, then I'm not enough or, you know, whatever. So for me, it was that idea that I continually go back to in my mind of in Christ, I am complete. Right. I don't, need to compensate. I'm not an inconvenience. I don't need to Mm -hmm. be everything for everybody. I'm enough Mm -hmm. and who I'm created to be. And in the different ways that you've adapted that over time to suit men and women and Mm -hmm. then teens and um, every single time that I do it, because you kind of shift it in different ways, I I have I receive a different word. Like the Lord always has something fresh for me mm-hmm. in that that He wants to show me about how He created me. Yeah. Because we're most, not just one thing. Right. Yeah. That's right. So yeah. Thanks guys for listening. Remember who you are in Him. And if you can't remember, just ask Him. And remember that we have more with Julie on Patreon. Don't yeah. forget to so go check listen. it out because it's good and it does go a lot deeper into some of these issues that she mentioned. If you haven't joined Patreon, now's definitely the time. Have an awesome week, guys. We'll see you back here next time. Thank you for listening to The Collected Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you would help spread the word. Check back here for weekly episodes dropping every Thursday. You can follow Collected on social media at Collected Workshops. Find the Collected Podcast on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the Collected Podcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Become a patron for as little as $1 a month to gain access to bonus content, early bird ticket sales, exclusive contests, and more. You can also find Tia at Tia McNally Notes, Jess at Spreza Foundry, and Michaela at The Creative Space NC. Collected proudly supports and partners with Flourish Kenya, a nonprofit working to prevent and support unplanned adolescent pregnancy in rural Kenya. Learn more at flourishkenya.org. Support for the Collected podcast is provided by Clean Juice. Learn more at cleanjuice.com and be sure to check out their lifestyle arm at wellhappyandkind.com. Podcast recorded by Jacob Early 
Music by Asaf Alon.